ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we have a small section of the chapter to complete from last time. The section that we were on was talking about how the people they build on top of graves, places of worship. How the Christians they built places of worship on top of the graves of their righteous and prophets and the Jews and others the Mushrikun, and there was the narration that we mentioned last time of Jundab ibn Abdullah. قال سمعت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قبل أن يموت بخمس وهو يقول he said that I heard the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم say five days as some of the scholars mention Five days before he died, إِنِّي أَبْرَأُ إِلَى اللَّهِ أَنْ يَكُونَ لِي مِنْكُمْ خَلِيلٌ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ اتَّخَذَنِي خَلِيلًا كَمَا اتَّخَذَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ خَلِيلًا وَلَوْ كُنْتُ مُتَّخِذًا مِنْ أُمَّةِ خَلِيلًا فَاتَّخَذْتُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ خَلِيلًا The section about the Khalil that we covered last time, that I observed myself before Allah, that I should take any of you as a Khalil. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took me as a Khalil, just as He took Ibrahim as a Khalil. And if I was going to take anyone as a Khalil from my Ummah, then I would have taken Abu Bakr as a Khalil. Ala wa inna man kana qablakum kanu yattakhiduna qubura anbiyaihim masajid. أَلَا فَلَا تَتَّخِذُ الْقُبُورَ مَسَاجِدِ فَإِنِّي أَنْهَاكُمْ عَنْ ذَلِكَ That indeed, those who came before you, they used to take the graves of their prophets as mosques, as places of worship. So do not take the graves as mosques, as places of worship, for indeed I prohibit you from that. So this is a clear narration where the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from taking the graves as places of worship, of building mosques on top of that, or any type of musalla and place of worship on top of the graves. فَقَدْ نَهَا عَنْهُ فِي آخِرِ حَيَاتِهِ ثُمَّ إِنَّهُ لَعَنَا وَهُوَ فِي السِّيَاقِ مَنْ فَعَلَهُ so the Prophet ﷺ forbade from that at the end of his lifetime. At the end of his lifetime, he was forbidding the Ummah from taking the graves as places of worship. And then it mentions too, ثُمَّ إِنَّهُ لَعَنَ وَهُوَ فِي السِّيَاقِ مَنْ فَعَلَهُ That he, on top of warning against taking the graves as places of worship. On top of that, وَهُوَ فِي السِّيَاقِ 
when he was at that time of death, as-siyaq in this hadith, meaning at the time of death, in those days at that time when he was facing death now, he cursed those who take the graves as places of worship. وَالصَّلَاةُ عِنْدَهَا مِنْ ذَلِكَ And praying at those places, it is also from that, وَإِنْ لَمْ يُبْنَى مَسْجِدْ Even if a physical structure is not built on top of the grave, even if it is not physically built on top of the grave, if the people take that grave as a place of worship, they take that grave as a place of prayer, then that is still forbidden and that is still prohibited. وَهُوَ مَعْنَ قَوْلِهَا أَنْ يُتَّخَذَ مَسْجِدًا And that is the meaning in the narration that the Prophet ﷺ feared that it would be taken as a mosque, as a place of worship. He feared that it would be taken as a mosque, as a place of worship. فَإِنَّ الصَّحَابَةِ لَمْ يَكُونُوا لِيَبْنُوا حَوْلَ قَبْرِهِ مَسْجِدًا Because the companions would obviously never build a place of worship or a grave, or something on top of the grave. The companions would not have done that. لأنهم معصومون عن ذلك رضي الله عنهم They are preserved and guarded and protected from falling into that type of action. وَلَا يُمْكِنْ ذَلِكَ أَبَدًا فِي حَقِّهِمْ And it is not possible at all that the companions would ever do something like that to build a mosque or a place of worship on top of the grave. بَلْ لَمْ تُبْنَى الْمَسَاجِدِ فِي الْقُرُونِ الْأَرْبَعَةِ كُلِّهَا Mosques were not built on top of graves for the first four generations. لِأَنَّ الْقُرُونَ الْأَرْبَعَةِ أَثْنَى عَلَيْهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ بِقَوْلِهِ خَيْرُكُمْ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ That the best of the generations are my generation, then those who follow them, then those who follow them. فَإِذَا كَانَتِ الْقُرُونُ الْأَرْبَعَةِ لَمْ يُبْنَى فِيهَا عَلَى الْقُبُورِ مَسَاجِدْ فَكَيْفَ يُبْنَى فِي أَحْدِ الصَّحَابَةِ الَّذِينَ هُمُ الْقَرْنُ الْأَوَّلِ رضي الله تعالى عنهم If these mosques on top of graves did not exist and they were not built in the first four generations, they did not exist and they did not occur, then what therefore of the first of those generations, certainly they did not exist and they did not occur, that mosques or places of worship, were built on top of graves, it did not exist and it did not occur. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْمُرَادَ بِاتِّخَاذِهَا مَسَاجِدْ تَحَرِّ الصَّلَةِ عِنْدَهَا 
ظنن أن الصلاة عندها فيها مزية وأنها يستجاب الدعاء عندها لأن ذلك وسيلة من وسائل الشرك So when the messenger said or when it was mentioned that he feared that his grave would be taken as a mosque at that time there was no such thing occurring that physical mosques or structures were being built on top of graves so his intention at that time was purely and merely the act of people doing worship at the graves without necessarily building any structure there but that he feared people would come to that location to perform worship or prayer and people would specify that location for prayer and worship and that they would believe that their dua would be answered at that location and so all of that is a means to shirk occurring when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam naha anis salati inda al-qubur and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam forbade from prayer at the graves وَاتِّخَاذَهَا مَسَاجِدْ سَدًّا لِذَرِيعَةِ الشِّرْكِ And to take those graves, those places as mosques, as places of worship, as places of prayer. The Messenger forbade us from doing that in order to block the path and the avenue to shirk. لِأَنَّهُ إِذَا صُلِّيَّ عِنْدَهَا وَدُعِيَّ عِنْدَهَا فَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ يَتَطَوَّرْ وَتُدْعَى مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Because if the people start praying at the graves and they start making dua at the graves, then one thing leads to another. One thing leads to another and the affair starts to build up. Stage by stage, step by step, until the people end up calling upon others besides Allah. وَتُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ And others are worshipped then besides Allah. كَمَا حَصَلَ عِنْدَ الْأَضْرِحَةِ الْآنِ حَيْثُ صَارَتْ تُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Just like the Shaykh says, it has occurred at the various shrines and tombs now whereby others besides Allah are worshipped at them فَيُذْبَحُ لَهَا وَيُنْذَرُ لَهَا وَيُسْتَغَاثُ بِالْمَوْتَى وَيُتَمَرَّغْ عَلَى تُرْبَتِهَا وَيُعْكَفُ عِنْدَهَا وَيُطَافُ حَوْلَهَا كَمَا يُطَافُ بِالْكَعْبَةِ كُلُّ ذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ الْبَابِ فُتِحَ لِمَّا بُنِيَ عَلَيْهَا He says examples now at these shrines and these tombs. People they go and sacrifice for them, for the deceased, these tombs and shrines. And they go and make vows for them. And they go and seek aid and assistance from the deceased. And they go and rub the soil and the sand from those areas, believing there's barakah etc. in that. And they go do i'tikaf at these graves and shrines and tombs. 
and they even do tawaf, yutafu hawlaha kama yutafu bil ka'bah. Al-Shaykh Abdul Muhsan al-Abbad, hafizahullah ta'ala, he said, people, some of the ignorant people, the juhal, they even do that at Al-Masjid al-Nabawi now. Do what? Tawaf. Al-Shaykh Abdul Muhsan said, there are people, they do tawaf around al-Masjid al-Nabawi, intending by it the grave of the Prophet And they do tawaf, they do their seven circuits all around the masjid. Completely false, completely incorrect, complete misguidance. Tawaf is not legislated anywhere except at the Kaaba. And they come and do tawaf there, and they do tawaf at these shrines and other places uh, that some of the individuals do. And all of these activities, the door to them has been opened up because of the initial structures that were built on top of those graves, because of the initial shrine that was built, the initial uh, uh, tomb that was created in the proper fashion, so the people, they took it as a location and they came and began doing their worship there and slaughtering there and bowing there and making dua to the deceased therein and tawaf around it, all because these things were built there in the first place to make them a location, something for the people to go to and return to. And then it mentions, in the text, أُصِدَ الصَّلَاةُ فِيهِ فَقَدْ تُخِذَ مَسْجِدًا Every place where prayer is intended at it, you go there to pray in that place, فَقَدْ تُخِذَ مَسْجِدًا Then that place has been considered to have been taken as a mosque. So the point is in these narrations where it mentions about the graves being taken as mosques or as places of worship, it doesn't necessitate that anything has to be physically built there. Could be a standard grave, nothing built on it. But if people target that grave, that is their objective, that is their qasd. They are traveling to that particular grave in that particular place to do worship, then that place, that grave has been taken as a masjid as a place of worship, even if nothing is physically built on it. فَكُلُّ مَوْضِعٍ قُصِدَتْ الصَّلَاةُ فِيهِ أَيْ كُلُّ مَوْضِعٍ يُتَرَدَّدُ عَلَيْهِ وَيُصَلَّى فِيهِ سَوَاءً كَانَ عِنْدَهُ قَبْرٍ أَوْ لَيْسَ عِنْدَهُ قَبْرٍ فَقَدْ اتُّخِذَ مَسْجِدًا Even if a grave isn't there, the point is, any location that is uh, uh, specified and the people, they go to it to perform their worship and their prayer at it, even if nothing is built there, even if there is no grave there, any location you go to and specify for prayer, that location is considered as a masjid now. Not in the rulings of fiqh about tahiyatul masjid and those things, but in the concept of it, it is now like a masjid, that location. You are going there and specifying it for prayer. 
It could be out in the desert with no building and no structure. وَإِن لَمْ يُبْنَى وَلَوْ كَانَ صَحْرَى فَهُوَ يُسَمَّى مَسْجِدًا يعني مكان صلاة ومكان سجود A place of prayer, a place of prostration Then that would be considered as a masjid. بَلْ كُلُّ مَوْضِعْ يُصَلَّى فِيهِ يُسَمَّى مَسْجِدًا حَتَّى وَلَوْ لَمْ يُبْنَى عَلَيْهِ كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم جعلت لي الأرض مسجدا وطهورا يعني صالحة للصلاة فيها The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he mentioned All of the land has been made for me as a mosque Meaning you can establish your prayer upon all of this earth All of this earth has been made for me a masjid Meaning a place where it is legitimate for you to pray You can pray out here in the car park now You can pray out in the park over there You can pray on this land, on this earth All of it is valid With the exceptions that are mentioned Of the impure places etc But on the whole all of the land is permissible to pray upon Masjidan wa tahura, a mosque, a place where you can pray and that it is pure. The car park outside now, you go pray on it without any mat, without anything on the ground, on the tarmac, on the the actual ground, permissible, it is pure. Go to the park on the grass without any mat, without any uh, cloth, pray on the grass, pure, you can pray. The ground, the earth has been made pure and a place of prayer. فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْمَكَانَ الَّذِي يُصَلَّى فِيهِ يُسَمَّى مَسْجِدًا سَوَاءً قُصِدًا أَوْ لَمْ يُقْصَدْ سَوَاءً بُنِيَ عَلَيْهِ أَوْ لَمْ يُبْنَى The point of that section is to highlight that a mosque, in these narrations where it is being spoken of, of the mosque being built on top of the graves, or the mosque being taken, or the place of worship, being taken on the graves, that all of these narrations, they indicate that doesn't mean or necessitate that something physical has to be built on the grave. A person may think all of these narrations are talking about only when they build proper shrines on top of a grave. It's not a necessity. A grave could be taken in this prohibited way of worship without any structure being built on it too. So that is to be remembered as well. فَالْحَاصِلْ أَنَّ مَعْنَ اتِّخَاذِ الْقُبُورِ مَسَاجِدِ يَشْمَلْ مَعْنَيَينَ Therefore the point is when the messenger warned against taking the graves as mosques, there are two meanings behind that. Firstly, الْمَعْنَ الْأَوَّلْ أَصْصَلَاتُ عِنْدَهَا وَإِنْ لَمْ يُبْنَ مَسْجِدِ وَهَذَا هُوَ الْمَعْنَ الْمُرَادِ مِنَ الْأَحَدِيثِ Praying at the graves... Even if no structure, shrine or tomb or whatever is built on top or any type of building is built on top, the fact that you go to the graves and pray there and do your salah there and other affairs of worship there, then you have taken that place as a masjid, regardless of any physical structure. And the second meaning of these narrations is then, of course, when people do on top of taking those places as places of worship, they do actually also build things on, and that is obviously included as well. 
So the second meaning is المعنى الثاني بناء المساجد فيها والقباب وهذا أيضا منهي عنه So when they go and build actual physical structures on top of those graves they put on whatever domes and other things and make these shrines out of them فَإِنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَ لِعَلِيَ بْنَ أَبِي طَالِبٍ in a narration, the Prophet sallallahu said to Ali ibn Abi Talib, "La tada' qabran mushrifan illa sawwita." Do not leave any outstanding grave, any protruding grave, except that you level it. All of the graves that were uh, protruding out of the ground. They have some big thing built on them or anything built on them sticking out of the ground. Do not leave the graves like that except that you flatten them. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said to Ali ibn Abi Talib. Uh, because having those structures or, or whatever, small thing even, built on top of the grave, then that is a means of fitna for the people and a means of opening up the doors to shirk occurring. Then the final narration in this section, وَلِأَحْمَدْ بِسَنَدٍ جَيِّدٍ عَنْ إِبْنِ مَسْعُودٍ مَرْفُوعًا Reported by or collected by Ahmed in, of course, the Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah, with a good chain of narration from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu, where he said, marfu'an, marfu'an, meaning that it is from the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, marfu'an ila nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم يعني ليس من كلام ابن مسعود وإنما هو من كلام النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. So this isn't the speech of Ibn Mas'ud. Marfu'an means he is narrating it from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. So what is he narrating from the messenger? عن ابن مسعود marfu'an إن من شرار الناس من تدركهم الساعة وَهُمْ أَحْيَاءُ وَالَّذِينَ يَتَّخِذُونَ الْقُبُورَ مَسَاجِدٍ رواه أبو حاتم في صحيحه That the worst of the people من شرار الناس شرار جمع شر شر أفعل تفضيل بمعنى أشر أي أشد الناس شرا so this is, in reality, when you break down the grammar, it is an ismut tafdeel. In, uh, in English, the comparative, the superlative, those types of things. So here it is saying, essentially, that the worst of the people, the worst of the people, inna min shirarin nas, indeed, from the worst of the people, are those whom are alive at the time when the hour is established. الَّذِينَ تُدْرِكُهُمُ السَّاعَةِ وَهُمْ أَحْيَاءِ أَيْ قِيَامُ السَّاعَةِ 
وذلك عند نفخة الصعق التي يموت بها الخلق إلا من شاء الله وهي المذكورة في قوله تعالى ونفخ في الصور فصاعق من في السماوات ومن في الأرض إلا من شاء الله So the worst of the people are those who are alive right at the end when the hour is established upon them. When the horn will be blown, when the horn will be blown and the people they fall down dead. As you know there is a difference of opinion, there is ikhtilaf, is it nafkhatayn or thalaf? Will it be blown into the horn twice or will it be three times? But in any case, on both opinions, the first blowing of the horn within that will be the sa'iq, when all of the people, they fall down dead, except for those whom Allah uh, wills not to be so. So they fall down, فَصَعِقَ meaning matu مَرَّةً wahida min أَثَرِ sa'iqa. That all of them, they fall down dead in one go from the impact of that blowing of the horn that then causes them to be struck down. إِذَا نَفَخَ إِسْرَافِيلُ فِي الصُّورَةِ نعم, إِذَا نَفَخَ إِسْرَافِيلُ فِي الصُّورَةِ النَّفْخَةَ الْأُولَى صَعِقَ كُلَّ الْأَحْيَاءِ That when Israfil blows into the horn the first time, then all of the living at that time who hear that horn blown, then they are struck down uh, and they uh, become deceased. إِلَّا مَنْ إِسْتَثْنَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى بِقَوْلِهِ إِلَّا مَنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ Except for those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, exempts from that, as is in the ayah, إِلَّا مَنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ Except for those whom Allah uh, wills not to be. Then, ثُمَّ نُفِخَ فِيهِ أُخْرَى فَإِذَا هُمْ قِيَامٌ يَنْظُرُونَ Then when it is blown into the horn again, and that is the second or the third time upon the difference of opinion, when it is blown again then, هَذِهِ نَفْخَةُ الْبَعْثِ That second time or third time when it is blown again, that is when the resurrection then occurs. The resurrection of the people then occurs. Al-Ula nafkhatul maut wa thaniya nafkhatul ba'ath. So the first time is when the people are struck down, deceased. Then the second time is when they are resurrected and raised. Yanfakhu Israfilu alayhi salam fi sur. مَرَّةً ثَانِيَا فَيَقُومُونَ مِنْ قُبُورِهِمْ أَحْيَاءً يَمْشُونَ So when Israfil blows into the horn again, all of them they rise up. The people they rise up, resurrected, alive. And so they stand from their graves and walk. فَإِذَا هُمْ قِيَامٌ يَنْظُرُونَ That then they will be arisen looking around. وَهَذَا بِقُدْرَةِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى فَهَاتَانِ نَفْخَتَانِ نَفْخَةُ الصَّعْقِ وَنَفْخَةُ الْبَعْثِ So these are the two blowings of the horn, uh, one where they are struck down and die, and then the other one when they are raised up and resurrected. وَهُنَاكَ نَفْخَةَ ثَالِثَةَ 
ذكرها الله في آخر سورة النمل ويوم ينفخ في الصور ففزع من في السماوات ومن في الأرض إلا من شاء الله فهذه نفخة الفزع وبعض العلماء كشيخ الإسلام ابن تيمية وغيره يرون أن نفخات ثلاثة So as we mentioned there are some scholars like Sheikh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah who take the opinion that the horn will be blown three times. There will be three blowings of the horn. So as far as they are concerned, they say that the first blowing of the horn will strike fear into everyone. As this ayah just mentioned in Surah An-Naml, The fear will be struck into them. The second blowing of the horn is when they then are struck down dead. And the third blowing of the horn is when they are then resurrected. But the other scholars, they say the first blowing of the horn is the terror and the fright and being struck down dead. All in one. And then the second is the resurrection. So you have that small difference between the scholars. فَالَّذِينَ يَحْضُرُونَ هَذَا الْحَدَثِ الْهَائِلِ So those who will be alive at that time at the end and experience the blowing of the horn. وَهُوَ نَفْخَةُ صَعْقِ هُمْ شِرَارُ النَّاسِ They will be the most evil, the worst of the people left on the earth at that time who experience the horn actually occurring. لِأَنَّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Because where will the believers have gone? They are already taken before that. لِأَنَّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَمُوتُونَ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ The believers, they died. They are all taken before the blowing of the horn. كَمَا قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ لَا تَقُومُ السَّاعَةِ وَفِي الْأَرْضِ مَنْ يَقُولَ اللَّهِ اللَّهِ that the hour will not be established as long as there is a person or people upon the earth who say Allah, Allah. Meaning, when all of the people who remember Allah have gone and only the evil ones are left who do not remember Allah, who do not ever say Allah, no recognition of that. The worst of the people are left. Nobody even says Allah anymore. Then the hour is established upon those worst of the people. لِأَنَّهُ إِذَا كَانَ فِيهَا مَنْ يَقُولُ اللَّهُ اللَّهُ وَيَذْكُرُ اللَّهُ فَالْحَيَاةُ تَبَقَى فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا لِأَنَّ ذِكْرَ اللَّهِ وَالتَّوْحِيدَ وَالْعِبَادَةِ عِمَارَةِ لِهَذِهِ الْأَرْضِ فَإِذَا فُقِدَ ذَلِكَ اسْتَحَقَّ أَهْلُهَا الْعُقُوبَةِ فَيَحْصُلُ بِذَلِكَ الْمَوْتُ الْعَامِ so as long as the people are remembering Allah, as long as they are still upon the remembrance of Allah, 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 then life will remain upon this earth because the very nature of life on this earth is for the obedience and worship of Allah. That is why Allah created us. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ so as long as that remembrance of Allah remains, life remains. But when the remembrance of Allah disappears, the believers are all gone, and the most evil of people are only left. 
then they are the ones, the evil of the people, the worst of them, who are deserving of that punishment, deserving now of that widespread death to occur to them all by the blowing of the horn. أَمَّا قَوْلُهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَا تَزَالُ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْ أُمَّتِي عَلَى الْحَقِّ ظَاهِرِينَ لَا يَضُرُّهُمْ مَنْ خَذَلَهُمْ وَلَا مَنْ خَالَفَهُمْ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ As for the narration where the Messenger ﷺ said that there will always be or there will not cease to be a group from my Ummah upon the truth apparent upon that truth, establishing it, and no one will harm them from those who deceive them or oppose them until the command of Allah comes. That narration about the group who will remain, the saved sect who will remain till the end of time and nobody will harm them, there will always be a group of them then how do we combine between that and what we've just said? If there will always be a group of people upon the truth, then where are they at the end when the hour is being established? If they will always be there. Of course, the intent here is that they will always remain. Ahlul Sunnah will always remain all the way up until prior to the blowing of the horn. They will remain right till the end, just prior to the blowing of the horn. يَقْبِضُ اللَّهُ أَرْوَاحَهُمْ قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ بِرِيحِ يُرْسِلُهَا اللَّهُ تَقْبِضُ رُوحَ كُلِّ مُؤْمِنْ وَمُؤْمِنَ So just prior to that, at the end of time, Allah sends uh, a wind that takes the souls of all of the believers, male and female. فَلَا يَحْضُرُونَ هَذَا الْحَدَثَ الْمُرَوِّعِ so they do not experience that terrifying event at the end of the horn blowing. They are all taken just prior to that. فَيُسْتَفَادُ مِنْ هَذَيْنِ الْحَدِيثَيْنِ مَسَائِلَ عَظِيمًا So from these two narrations, there are great benefits to be taken. الْمَسْأَلَةُ الْأُولَى يُسْتَفَادُ مِنَ الْحَدِيثَيْنِ إِثْبَاتُ الْمَحَبَّةِ لِلَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَأَنَّهَا صِفَةٌ مِنْ صِفَاتِهِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the attribute of love. It is an attribute from His attributes. وَأَنَّهُ يُحِبُّ أَوْلِيَاءَهُ وَرُسُولَهُ وَيُحِبُّ عِبَادَهُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ هذه صفة من صفاته اللائقة بجلاله. كَمَا يُبْغِضُ الْكَافِرِينَ وَالْمُنَافِقِينَ وَيَكْرَهُ وَيَمْقُتْ وَيَغْضَبُ وَيَرْضَى وَيَضْحَكُ كُلُّ هَذِهِ مِنْ صِفَاتِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَهِيَ صِفَاتٌ لَائِقَةٌ بِهِ جَلَّ وَعَلَى So at the beginning it had mentioned about the Khalil issue and so from that section we understand the affirmation of the attribute of love to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also there are many other attributes, the attribute of anger, uh, the attribute of pleasure, the, the fact that Allah laughs. There are multiple different attributes and they come in the section of names and attributes. 
وهذا مذهب أهل السنة والجماعة أنهم يثبتون ما جاء في الكتاب والسنة من صفاته الذاتية ومن صفاته الفعلية سبحانه وتعالى على ما يليق بجلاله ومن ذلك إثبات المحبة وأنه يحب So أهل السنة والجماعة It is our methodology that we affirm What has come in the Quran and the Sunnah From the attributes, from the essence of Allah And from the attributes of the actions of Allah What Allah does when He pleases All of those attributes as are befitting of His Majesty And from those is this attribute of love وتكرر ذكر محبته لعباده في آيات كثيرة And there are multiple ayat in the Quran where it is mentioned about Allah loving his servants. For example, فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمِ يُحِبُّهُمْ وَيُحِبُّونَهُ And Allah will bring a people whom he loves and they love him. And also, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ Allah loves those who repent and those who are upon purity. And also, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِهِ صَفًّا كَأَنَّهُمْ بُنْيَانٌ مَرْسُوسٌ And Allah loves those who fight in His path. Many narrations talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loving the servants. And we came across an evidence in the past about that. What was that evidence? We did a hadith at the beginning of Kitab al-Tawheed that proves this too, about Allah loving Hadith of Ali? So, غَدًا لَأُعْطِيَنَّ الرَّايَةِ In that hadith, that tomorrow I am going to give the flag of the army to who? To a man who? A man who يُحِبُّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيُحِبُّهُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ A man who loves Allah and His Messenger and Allah and His Messenger love him. That was covered before right at the beginning. المسألة الثانية في الحديث دليل على أن الخلة أعلى درجات المحبة ولذلك لم تحصل إلا للخليلين محمد وإبراهيم عليهما الصلاة والسلام أما بقية الأنبياء والصالحين فإن الله يحبهم لكن لم تصل محبتهم إلى مرتبة الخلة we already mentioned this about the highest level of love being the khullah. And that is only for Muhammad sallallahu and Ibrahim salam. As for the other prophets and righteous, Allah loves them. But it did not go to the level of the khullah, which was specified for the two messengers. وَكَذَلِكَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُحِبُّ أَصْحَابَهُ يُحِبُّ أَصْحَابَهُ فَيُحِبُّ عَائِشَهُ ويحب أبا بكر ويحب عمر وقال لمعاذ يا معاذ إني أحبك فهو يحب أصحابه عليه الصلاة والسلام 
So even the messenger, he loved his companions. The messenger loved his companions. He loved Aisha radiyallahu anha. He loved Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu. He loved Umar radiyallahu anhu. He said to Mu'adh in one of the narrations, Ya Mu'adh, inni uhibbuka. O Mu'adh, indeed I love you. So that is established also. أَمَّا الْخُلَّةِ فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يُخَالِلْ أَحَدًا مِنْهُمْ حَتَّى وَلَا أَبَا بَكْرًا But as for the level of khullah, then as we mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ did not take anybody at the level of al-khullah as a khalil. But what about some athar where the companions used to say, قَالَ بَعْضُ الصُّحَابَةِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وسلم خَلِيلِي There are some athar, some narrations where the companions would say, the Prophet is my khalil, khalili Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But the messenger said he didn't take anybody as a khalil. So how do we combine between those? So they took him as a khalil, but he had not taken anybody as a khalil. So هذا يعني قال بعض الصحابة خليلي رسول الله هذا من قبل الصحابي لا من قبل الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم. That was from the perspective of the companions. They loved the messenger to that level of khullah, but the messenger had not taken anybody at that level. المسألة الثالثة فيه دليل على فضل الخليلين محمد وإبراهيم عليه الصلاة والسلام حيث نالا هذه المرتبة التي لم ينلها أحد غيرهم The virtue of Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم and Ibrahim عليه السلام that they were at the level of الخلّة that nobody else reached المسألة الرابعة في الحديث دليل على فضل أبي بكر الصديق لأن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لو كنت متخذا من أمة خليلا اتخذت أبا بكر The virtue of Abu Bakr is highlighted because the messenger said if I was going to take a khalil it would have been Abu Bakr as-Siddiq رضي الله عنه So that shows his great virtue وفيه إشارة إلى استخلافه من بعده and within that is an indication that Abu Bakr was deserving to be the next Khalifa. Because he was the one who would have been the Khalil if the messenger had taken a Khalil, indicating the superiority of Abu Bakr over the others. Al-Mas'alatu al-Khamisa, and this is the point. Fi al-Hadith dalilun ala tahreem al-Salati inda al-Qubur wa bina'u al-Masajid alayha. The impermissibility of building upon the graves and the impermissibility of praying at the graves. As the messenger said, لا تتخذ القبور مساجد Do not take the graves as a place of worship, as mosques, whether there is something physically built there or not. If you go to that place as a location of prayer and worship, you have taken it as a mosque. المسألة السادسة and this one we haven't mentioned so far. المسألة السادسة في الحديث 
دليل على بطلان الصلاة عند القبور أو في المساجد المبنية على القبور لأن الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم نهى عن ذلك والنهي يقتضي الفساد عند الأصوليين Scholars have mentioned that praying at the graves or in a mosque built upon the graves, your prayer would be invalid. Your prayer would be invalid if you did that. If you prayed at the grave or at a mosque built on a grave, you pray there, your prayer would be invalid. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from praying at that location like that. And in usul, in the principles of the religion and how to derive evidences, etc., the principle is that a prohibition upon something dictates the invalid nature of that act. It dictates that the act is invalid then. It's nullified, finished. So now that the messenger has forbidden us to pray at the graves, if you pray at the graves or you pray in a mosque built on the graves, your prayer is invalid because the messenger had prohibited you from doing that act. So if you prayed in a mosque that was built on a grave, you would have to go and repeat your prayer. لِأَنَّ صَلَاتَهُ عِنْدَ الْقَبْرِ أَوْ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ الْمَبْنِيِ عَلَى الْقَبْرِ غير صحيحة. Praying in a mosque or in a, uh, 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 at the grave or in a mosque built on a grave, then your prayer would be invalid. لِأَنَّهَا صَلَاةٌ مَنْهِيٌّ عَنْهَا Because you've now prayed a prayer, a form of a prayer, meaning at that location, that the messenger had prohibited you from doing. You've now gone and prayed in a method, the messenger prohibited you from doing so. So now, if you do that, it's invalid. You've gone against the prohibition. وَالصَّلَاةُ الْمَنْهِيُّ عَنْهَا غَيْرْ مَشْرُوعَةٌ so if that prayer like that at that location has been prohibited, meaning it is not legislated, and if it is not legislated, it can't possibly count as an act of worship. So if you go and do that, it would be invalid, you'd have to repeat it. Al-Mas'alatu Sabi'ah Fil-Hadith Dalilun ala anna al-lazina yattakhidun al-qubur masajid shirar al-khalq فَالَّذِينَ يَفْعَلُونَ هَذَا الْفِعْلِ سَوَاءٌ كَانُوا مِنَ الْيَهُودِ أَوْ مِنَ النَّصَارَى أَوْ مِنَ الْمُنْتَسِبِينَ إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ هُمْ مِنْ شَرِّ الْخَلْقِ لَا أَحَدَ شَرٌ مِنْهُمْ وَالْعِيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ That the hadith told us the worst of the people are those who take mosques, places of worship on top of the graves, whether it be from the Jews or the Christians, or even people who claim affiliation to Islam. If they build their mosques on top of the graves or insert their graves into the mosques, then that is a prohibited action from the worst of the actions of shirk. Al-mas'alatu thamina, or opening up the door to it. Al-mas'alatu thamina, anna al-hadith yadullu ala anna al-sa'ah la taqumu ala ahl al-iman. The hadith highlighted to us that the hour will not be established upon the people of Iman. The wind comes, takes all of their souls, they all die, then the worst people are left who do not even say Allah. Then the hour is established upon them. 
وإنما تقوم على الكفار لأن أهل الإيمان من خير الناس وليس شر الناس فلا تقوم عليهم الساعة وإنما يموتون قبل ذلك تقبض أرواحهم كما, كما دلت على ذلك الحديث الواردة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأن الله يرسل ريحا قبل قيام الساعة تقبض روح كل مؤمن ومؤمنة فلا يبقى في الأرض إلا الكفار وشرار الخلق يتهارجون كما تتهارج الحمر لأنهم ليس عندهم دين ولا خلق ولا مروءه So the hour is not established except upon the worst of those people as for the believers the wind is sent and they are all taken their souls are taken only the worst of the people are left who in their characteristics and their behavior are like the donkeys because they do not have any religion or manners or dignity and so those worst of the people and the evil of the people they are the ones who the hour is established upon that brings us to the end of the chapter then and inshallah ta'ala we'll start the new chapter from the fresh lesson next time and that next chapter is babu ma jaa anna al-ghuluwa fi qubur as-salihin yusayyiruha awthanan tu'badu min dunillah exaggeration at the graves of the righteous causes them to become like idols and the people begin to worship other than Allah. So it is connected to this chapter about exaggeration and excessiveness in people we already spoke about before and now particularly exaggeration and excessiveness in those people after their deaths, at their graves and how that opens up the door to shirk. That's what we'll begin with next time, inshallah ta'ala. There's been some disruption to the class and there's going to be a little bit more. Next Saturday the class isn't on. I'm traveling so next Saturday won't be on. But inshallah after that then hopefully we'll get into a routine again. So next Saturday it's off but then the Saturday after that, December 3rd I think it works out. From December the 3rd inshallah ta'ala will resume again. But uh, try to catch up with the previous lessons Listen to the recordings, the audios, go through the book, go through the English for those who have that. To keep all of the chapters revised. Now we're getting quite far into it, halfway into the book now. You don't want to forget the first chapters. And by the time we get to the end of the book, you don't want to forget what we've been talking about right now. You don't want to forget. The Salaf, they used to say, the calamity isn't actually seeking knowledge. People may. They might come and they might sit and they might seek knowledge. Where's the real calamity? Even more than that. It's a calamity that people don't seek knowledge. That is a calamity. People don't attend the classes, they don't seek knowledge. But at least people do, some people do. But there's a calamity bigger than that. And that, they used to say is, The real calamity when it comes to knowledge is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, that you come, you attend, and you make notes and you focus, but then afterwards you don't revise, and so you forget. So all of these sessions now, how many we've done? 30, 40 sessions, Allah Alam, getting halfway through into Kitab al-Tawheed. This is the type of book that cannot be forgotten. Every chapter in it is vital. This is from the core books, absolute core. And multiple scholars, you'll hear the same statement from them, when they say, 
once you finish Kitab al-Tawheed, then the next book you should do is Kitab al-Tawheed. They used to say, we finish it, and when you get to the last page, we just turn over the page, back to the first page again. And some of them used to do that. Teach it, get to the end, start it again. Ongoing class in Kitab al-Tawheed, because it summarizes all of the aspects of the core issue that existed between the prophets and their people. Al-Uluhiyyah. This is the basis and the foundation of the religion. So, give it focus. Revise what you've done before. Go over the work. Memorize as much as you can. This book in the University of Medina, it is curriculum for every faculty. You know when you choose a degree. Like here, you choose your different degrees you want to do. Geography, history, science, whatever. In Medina, they have different faculties. You can choose a degree in uh, Sharia. You can choose a degree in uh, Aqidah. You can choose a degree in Hadith, in Quran, in Arabic language. There are five different faculties. But every single one of them on their curriculum for the first year used to be Kitab al-Tawheed. Now some of the systems are changing, but it's still there. The concept of it and the study of it will not be forgotten. But in the days when I was there, as an absolute curriculum for every faculty, doesn't matter what you want to study, every faculty had to do this in the first year. One year doing Kitab al-Tawheed cover to cover. And then the exam at the end, on the full book, exam at the end, two hour exam or two hours or three hours, two hours I think exam, on the full book they ask you anywhere, anything. Any chapter they'll ask you what, what was this about, what was the proof here, what does this mean, prove to us this point, prove to us that point. They'll pick out some hadith randomly from one of the chapters and they'll say, what was the point of this and what does this hadith mean? And I have, I think I still have those past papers. So inshallah ta'ala, when we finish, we'll forward those past papers to everybody and we'll see what everybody can do. I believe I'll probably have them somewhere, the Kitab al-Tawheed exam paper. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll conclude upon that for today, resume in two weeks' time. Anything to say, anything to add? Hello. You know, um, let's say um, someone accepts this point from us, like impermissible to build upon the mosque and take any, uh, mm. sorry, build upon the grave taking the question. And they said, they accept as well that the prayers not in, are not valid as well. And then they say, what you say that du'a is prayer, so that means you can't, you can't make du'a then. Even du'a, no, it's true, it's true. Because the meaning of a salah and du'a, they come from the root word. But all of that is impermissible, the way that they do it. But the only permissible actions are that are in the sunnah. You can go there and make dua for the deceased. You give them salam. You make dua to Allah for the deceased. That is in the sunnah. What's in the sunnah can't be rejected. But what they are doing is taking these actions of worship and opening up the doors to shirk. They are making dua to the deceased. They are making dua from the deceased. If they just went there, gave salam, made dua to Allah to forgive their relative and walked off, no problem. But they go far, far beyond that in what they are doing into actions of worship and making a dua to them and calling upon them. 
So there is no comparison between what is in the sunnah and permissible to what they do. Anybody else? What's legislated to say when you yawn? Anybody? Any evidence? Anybody else? There is a hadith, but you'll have to go research it. I don't remember. There's a hadith that mentions Alhamdulillah. But I believe it's weak. So I don't know of any authentic uh, supplication for the yawning. I don't remember. There are some narrations, but from what I recall, they are weak. So you set the homework for everybody. Have a look. See if anybody can find an authentic narration telling you about a dua at the time of yawning. Maybe something even in uh, the fortress of the Muslims. See if anything's there. And then uh, you can bring it to us next time. Of course they do. Uh, I mean, we did kashf shubhat before you remember. These, you know, people who go to the graves and do tawaf around the graves, they sacrifice to the graves, they, they do the outright shirk. We're not just talking about jahil people here and there do bits and bobs. Actual outright shirk. But those people, when you ask them, they will say they are Muslim and they will establish the prayers and they'll do the jumu'ah. But those kinds of topics, we talked about them in kashf shubhat. A person may well pray his prayers, but if he's going and prostrating to a grave, or making tawaf around a grave, or sacrificing to the grave, he is committing an act of shirk outright, even if he's calling himself a Muslim. And you remember, if you look back, we did that in Kashr Shubuhat. Khalifa, linguistically, it comes from the from Khalfa, meaning someone you leave... Uh, uh, what's the word? Someone you leave as your uh, uh, predecessor is behind you. What's after you? Successor. successor. You leave as your successor after you or, or someone who is left behind after you depart. From Khalifa. Khalifa. Someone who is left behind after you depart. So that's why the Khulafa, they are the, the Khalifas. They were left behind in charge after the death of the Prophet Uh, we mentioned that a few weeks ago. You can have something the size of a handspan. It's mentioned in the Sunnah. Something at the size of a handspan, that small lump, is permissible. But outside of that, having a tombstone or anything higher is impermissible. No, that's okay. Initially, when they bury, initially when they bury, you have to bury slightly higher anyway because it all settles down. On the day of the burial, it's going to be a big lump. But then later on, it all settles, becomes flat. Because if you make it flat from the start, the way the soil is here as well in many places, then after a while from that flat, it will go down into the grave. So they always make it a lump initially, which becomes flat. Hmm. Anybody else? There is no established sunnah to have a talk at a burial. A Sheikh al-Luhidan, when they asked him, he said there is no established sunnah that you do a reminder at the burial. But there is the hadith about the Prophet ﷺ when they were waiting one time to do a burial, and he gave them a reminder. So it's not something which is prohibited, but there is no sunnah that you should make it an act which you do every time a burial occurs, you do a reminder. 
There is no sunnah to do that, Shaykh al-Hidan said. But if it's done occasionally, it's not haram or bid'ah. Just that you don't make it a practice. Every burial is a reminder with it. Alright, we'll leave it on that for today then. Inshallah ta'ala in two weeks time.